This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Jonathan Agnew. Welcome to the Test Match Special Podcast, looking back at the second day of the second England-Pakistan test of the Aegeus Bowl. It's another frustrating day with the weather, but there's still plenty to talk about. To come, we'll get the views of Michael Vaughan and Azamah Mood, and we'll hear from Stuart Broad, and we'll also find out the latest on possible crowds attending more matches this summer. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Close of play of the second day of this uh, second test match between England and Pakistan at the AGS Bowls. He's Pakistan on 2.23 for nine after 86 overs. So basically now, after two days, we've basically lost a whole day's play. Some can be made up, but uh, in, in, without getting too complicated with calculations, effectively, uh, we've lost a whole day's play now. Not to rain but to uh, what has been judged to be bad light. And that has obviously sparked all sorts of comment and criticism about whether uh, the light is fit for play, whether it's unreasonable to play, whether it's dangerous to play. It's the usual interpretation that has to be implemented by the umpires. And they have decided again, and not for the first time this summer, that play was not good enough. Mohamed Rizwan is 60 not out. And how well he's played too. A uh, real chirpy character. And he's held this lower order together. Here, Mohamed Abbas put on 39 together. He, of course, batting at number 10. And he was eventually out LBW to broad for just two out of that stand of 39. And we'll talk about England's tactics uh, during that moment, I'm sure, along with uh, Michael Vaughan and Azam Mahmood, who are sitting alongside me, just to run through the event. So, basically, Babar Azam was uh, caught behind off Stuart Broad for 47. Yasser Shah made five. He was caught behind off uh, James Anderson. Shane Afreed, he hung around for a while, but then he fell victim for the second time, not him, but Sibley's second direct hit run out in two matches, which is a good effort. Again, it's quite long range. And uh, Shane Afridi stranded, was out for naught. And then Mohamed Abbas, as described, LBW to broad. England regrouped after tea, basically. They got things back on track again. Set some sensible fields. And this one was pitched up from broad. Nip back, hit number, number 10 in front, out for two. So, 2.23 for nine. Uh, all a bit frustrating uh, if you just love your cricket and want to see some, want to see some play, frankly. Anderson's taken three for 48. Stuart Broad, three for 56. Sam Curran, one for 44. And Chris Wokes one for fifty-five. So, where should we start? Let's start with Michael Vaughan, then, shall we? And uh, what's your assessment of what's happened here today? Um, well, I, I think we're in for. Uh, even though there's been a lot of cricket lost, I think it's a test match that uh, all results are still possible because of the surface, the conditions. Uh, I think Pakistan should be very, very proud of the way that they fought, played with great discipline, skill. Because there's so much action out there, there's so much swing, there's so much seam. Um, you know, Mohamed Rizwan has played a blinder really to get Pakistan up to this 223. They get another 10 or 15. I would say they're not too far off par in terms of what they've had to batting. Uh, and then you look at the likes of Nasim Shah, Shaheen Afridi, Mohamed Abbas on this kind of wicket. If they get it right, yeah. you know, if it carries on like this, um, and I believe the, the forecast is very similar for a few days, a team will get bowled out very cheaply. You know, because I, I think there will be a session where the outside edges are found. As long as you take your chances, uh, I'm not too sure which innings it'll be, but I do think there'll be an innings that potentially a team will get bowled out uh, cheaply on this kind of surface. Uh, England had a, 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 a similar 
spell this afternoon to a couple of spells that I thought they had in Manchester where they just seem to just switch off and they just allow the game to Miranda along and tactically it doesn't look quite right. Then all of a sudden the break comes and they come out with different tactics, which suggests to me that the coach has sat them down and gone, what are you doing? Yes. Get back to the basics of the game. And that, that's a bit of a concern for me with this test team, that it happens quite consistently, that they seem to lose track of what is required out in the middle. It takes a, a break or a moment for them to suddenly go back into the dressing room and the coaches to sit with them and go, just, just cover the basics. Um, Is so that a way of getting a message out? I mean, you see, a bat, you see um, the 12th man running out with gloves for a batsman, don't you, and saying, get on with it or something, as they pass the gloves over that aren't really put on. Yeah. Isn't there a way that a coach can get a message out to the captain and say, what is going on? Sort things out. And you know, someone comes out and passes the message mm-hmm. on and then goes back into the dressing room. Well, again. Y- yeah, y- you, could, you could have that situation, but you'd like to think when you've got so much experience out in the middle, you know, you've got you know, Joe Root as captain into a, his 43rd or 44th game as a captain. You've got Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson who... You know, played hundreds of test matches together. Um, you know, it surprises me that we do continuously have moments where the team don't seem to be getting the tactics right. Um, Pakistan are back in the game, no, no question about that. England are going to have to fight hard with the bat tomorrow mm. because you would expect, in particular, Mohamed Abbas to be a real handful on this wicket. Yes. Go on then, Azza. I, I thought sort of 180 all out would be something that England would have been looking for today at one stage. Pakistan were what, 176 for eight when uh, Shaheem has run out for naught. That still feels to be quite below par, but they've come clawing back. And I wonder how you think 223, say they get, I don't know, 240, uh, something like that. That would be a reasonable score under the circumstances. Yeah, if they can manage to get another 15, 20 runs, that'll be crucial. But I thought Rizwan played really well and mm. he was very sensible. When ball was doing and hooping around, he was stick with the Barbarism, and they've shown some great discipline, good technique, and great temperament. And when uh, Rizwan was running out of the partner, and then he started to play a few shots. And at that period, when Michael said, you know, England were changed their plans, and we saw three men back on the boundary and uh, change their length, and which allow Mohammad Rizwan to get extra bit of runs. And uh, we saw, um, I think, Shaheen batted. 19 minutes, uh, 19 ball without any runs and a pass 19 ball for two runs only yes. and uh, allow um, Rizwan to get 30-40 runs added which was really crucial. One stage I was thinking you know 180, Pakistan will bowl out 180 and then a uh, little bit uh, plan change from England help Pakistan. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a bit about Mohammad Rizwan. I mean, he's not a young man, he's 28 isn't he? And he's been, he's what, this is his eighth test um, but where, was he always likely to be the man who, who took Safras's place? Yes, he was uh, around with the team for, I think, four or five years. And he played under, um, when Safras was batting, he played as a batsman right. in New Zealand, one of the games. So Mickey Arthur used to really like him, his temperament, and he's a hard-working guy. And always does something for the team and one of the fittest guys in Pakistan team. And he's always been there, but unfortunately, Sir Faraz was captain for the last four years and he couldn't get his chance. But every time uh, before the World Cup, uh, he got an opportunity to play against Australia when uh, Sir Faraz was arrested and he got uh, back-to-back 100 against Australian bowling lineup. Uh, I know it was Sharjah, Dubai pitches, but he managed to get those runs. And uh, he was the highest run scorer against Lions last year when they were playing the series. And he was way 
way ahead of every other batsman who played in that series. So mm. he's there and he deserved to be in this situation. Uh, I always seen him playing some short, but today I was really impressed with his uh, temperament, technique yeah. and discipline. He looks like one of those typically spiky yeah. wicketkeeper bats from batting at number seven. Winds you up. He's a bit chirpy behind the stumps, and he and he scores really useful runs. Yeah, and, and today I, I thought he played perfectly because he, he was just hanging in there when Baba Azam was out there. He just knew that Baba was playing uh, with great control. Maybe learnt a little bit from the way Baba, Baba played. He was just leaving outside off stump, waiting for the straight ball. Uh, it's not a pitch or it hasn't played in a way that you think that a player could come out there and start driving it on the up from ball one and you know if you take high risk options on here you know you, you, I don't think many will survive too long yeah. but when he got down to you know the likes of Shaheen Afridi and now Mohamed Abbas he had to take the gamble that, that shot to Chris Wokes when he danced down and pulled it over <laughs> mid wicket that was a, a terrific shot and he's a competitor you know behind the stumps he's, he's noisy but he's very very good he catches pretty much everything uh, and when you are a chirpy player, you've got to back it up with performance. Uh, and so far, you know, in, in, in this game in particular with the bat, you know, he's just given Pakistan a glimmer of hope because Pakistan got bowled out. And, and I think England should have bowled Pakistan out in the conditions that they bowled if they'd have fielded a bit better for about 150. Yeah. Uh, so they've already allowed Pakistan to get a score that uh, is a bit more than they should have done. Um, and you just know with this Pakistan bowling lineup, if they get it right tomorrow, you know, in England, just have one of those days where they're not quite switched on and they play a few loose shots. Um, one thing's for sure with the England Test Match team, it can be bowled out cheaply. We've yeah. seen it a lot in the past, particularly when the ball does a bit. So I do think this partnership's been crucial and Rizwan's given Pakistan a, a real good chance tomorrow of, uh, of causing a little bit of chaos in the England batting lineup. Let's just get clear what happened then with England today. And it's, it has happened before. You, you, get, you, you get a batsman who's, who's playing well, number seven in this case, Rizwan, and he's, he's obviously playing quite carefully because the conditions demand that. Then suddenly you get the number 10 come out, you know isn't very good. Mm. And so you suddenly, the, the, the plans seem to change again. Right, that's it, so we're going to just you know, deny Rizwan strike if we can, deny him boundaries if we can. Men go out, we've got to try and make sure that we get the number 10 on strike. And suddenly the, the basic... The basic element of running up and bowling the line and length that got you the wickets in the first place and has had Rizwan in trouble. And we talked about the drive being the most dangerous shot possibly in these conditions with the ball going away. That's gone. Three men go out. It's like a complete hang on. What's mm. going on here? Like a sort of blow a whistle and yeah. say, stop, stop. What's going on? And that's what happened this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it's always easy from, from our side when you, you, you take away the emotions yes. of actually the game situation. You're not involved. We're just seeing it. And, you know, 11 years I've, I've not been involved, but the more I watch cricket, the more I understand that you just keep it dead simple. And when teams start spreading the field, I did it on a few occasions and got it wrong. And I understand from the captaincy point of view that it's difficult, but the more that they could listen to people that are emotionally attached, the better they'll become because you just don't need to spread it. You know, the third man they put down, and that was the right decision because yes. Rizwan was swinging. The top edge could easily have gone down. He's played a couple of ramp shots, fine leg back, square leg back, but then ring fields on a pitch like this. And if he plays a few shots on the up through extra cover, you've got to just accept that, yeah. you know, he's played some wonderful shots. And, you know, I... I, I it does surprise me that uh, this England side with so much experience in the bowling department because you've got to remember you, the fingers always pointed at the captain we've got Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad 
as <laughs> most caps. But would he bowl in due with more more wickets than anybody? Would Joe Root stand and say, just say that it's one of those two are saying, right, that's it, man back there, let's have a man back at deep square leg? Is Joe Root still able to say to them, no, well, um, he, he, Stuart, he, or no, Jimmy, you're not having that? We're going to stick to this this, this plan that's got us this far. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, he's a captain. He, he should he should be able to and and should override any tactics that he doesn't think's right. That's why you're the captain, but. It does surprise me with the, that combination of so much quality, so much expertise that, you know, on their watch, which is the team on their watch at the minute out in the field, it does surprise me that they, they do go for this tactic far too soon, too yeah. often. Easily done, isn't it, Azza? You, you have been there as well? <laughs> yeah, I was uh, involved in one of these situations in myself, you know, not one of these, but uh, quite a few, where your tailender comes in and you suddenly, you know, start thinking of bowling to tail and give the proper batsman a single and, you know, try to bowl uh, and suddenly you change your plans. It's always uh, happened and it's still ha- happening in this game as well. So my question is, if uh, Barber was playing with his ones, you're going to change the tactics? You're no. going to no, change not. the tactics? No. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. And well, pitch is doing so much, you know, if you hit the areas and it's always there. We saw 80-year-old ball was hooping around and doing a lot mm. and ball does a lot in this uh, innings and why you want to change that yeah we can easily um, we can sit down and say say things like that it's uh, different when you're on the field and making those decisions. but as a, I mean again the more you watch the game from, from this perspective which again isn't emotionally attached the more you understand it as soon as you switch to that tactic you, you've mentally said that you don't really believe you're going to get that batsman out unless he makes a big error. Yes, that's it. You know, and that is the, the psychological shift that you allow the opposing team and then the massive gaps and they're not the ones in the twos. Uh, and, and, you know, on a wicket like this that's doing plenty, you know, 10 runs is a lot of runs. Yes. You know, 10 runs is a huge amount of runs, so don't allow them these easy ones and twos. And, yeah. You know, and, and also have the mindset of top of off stump, got to bowl them out. Yeah. And you have to get Rizwan out. That's, that's the, the mindset I would try and uh, portray to the team is that always have the mindset on pitch slides. You've got to get whoever's facing, got to get them out. Don't yeah. allow them to kind of think that you're uh, giving them belief and them confidence to think that you can't get them out by spreading the field. And, you know, they, 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 they've, they've done it a lot. You know, it's not just that it's a, a one off, they, they have had this tactical manoeuvre quite often in yeah. Test match cricket. And it's interesting also when, you know, when you're the bowler, even if you're vastly experienced, when you've only got two balls to bowl at the you finally get the number 10 or 11 down mm. on strike. He sort of tense up. How am I, I've got to get him out. I've got two balls. I've got mm. to get him out. And suddenly, again, you're thinking, you slightly lose that discipline. And you almost feel yourself tense up because yeah. you, you know you've only got those two balls. A short ball, okay, might soften him up possibly, but it's probably a wasted ball. So he's probably not going to bowl the, the bounce that he would when he get the full over mm. at him. In fact, Stuart Broad did that, didn't he? When he had a, finally a full over at a bounce, he gave him a, a, sh- a short couple. He didn't want to do it earlier on. So it, it's amazing, even at the highest level. You can just get a little bit scrambled and they go off for tea, come back, and it's completely back to normal again. And, of course, they got, they got, they got the wicket. I'm looking forward to seeing Pakistan bowl tomorrow. I mean, whatever they get with the, with the bat is one thing. But the thoughts of, uh, of, the, of the two young lads tearing in, Muhammad Abbas, that horrible, wobbly, tantalising, teasing, medium pace. He, he could be really tricky on there. Yeah, he will be a handful on this pitch yeah. uh, because of his line and length, uh, the area he bowls uh, around four or five metres, and which we saw England, uh, most of the England wicket came on that, that sort of area where they bowled that one, and he will bowl 
all day in that yes. area and he can bowl long spell and then mm. the other end you got uh, Shaheen Shah Afridi who can swing the ball seam the ball and uh, late swing as well with the new ball as well and then uh, boy Naseem Shah <laughs> if he's running in and you know as you mentioned you know if it extra pace mm. will do some well we don't different. know what it's going to do I mean, there's yeah. some balls bounce quite alarmingly Mohamed Abbas's uh, record for Leicestershire was ridiculous <laughs> and these are the kind of wickets that he would have bowled on a county pitch that's just got plenty of action uh, we've seen the, the the Duke ball swinging up until the 80th over and manoeuvring itself off the seam so I can't imagine it's not going to suddenly do that no um Again, sleepless nights for the opening batsman. I'm sorry, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight knowing that I'm going to face Mohamed Abbas on that. <laughs> I've seen Mohamed Abbas, yeah, I was bowling coach at that time. He got 10 for against Australia in Abu Dhabi pitch. So because of his line and length and yeah. asking question, hitting those thumps, and uh, he bowled with a really straight line in, in those pitches. How did he get them? LBW mainly? LBW bowl and caught behind as well. This is the kind of wicket, isn't it? That Abbas could win Pakistan a test match on this wicket. Yes. Definitely. I, I would love to bowl on this one. <laughs> <laughs> You're licking your lips, aren't you? But I'm sure if you are now, I think Abbas will be this evening thinking about what he could do on that wicket if he yeah. gets it right. He very rarely gets it wrong. No, no. The TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Let's get some reaction from the England camp. Stuart Broad has been speaking to Simon Mann. Well, Stuart, what sort of day was that for, for you and the team? Uh, I mean, after losing the toss, I think uh, any time you get a team 220 for nine, you're pretty happy. But I also feel like uh, if we had taken a couple more chances and been a bit more ruthless with the ball, we could have could have bowled Pakistan out a bit cheaper. Um, but we've controlled the rate really nicely. Um, we just we need to make sure we get this wicket early tomorrow so we don't undo a lot of the hard work we've done. Does it feel like with this pitch that there's a result out there? You know, I know the weather's around, it's causing problems, but there's enough happening? Uh, absolutely, it feels like a result pitch. Um, we're just struggling with the weather and the light at the moment. That's two days gone uh, with only one innings gone so obviously we are up against it time wise but you know it's, it's in our hands I think here at the Aegeus Bowl the stats say that uh, the first innings um, runs are normally outdone by the second innings um, so that, that's our opportunity to bat so it'll be in our hands to try and go past Pakistan and put their their next innings under pressure. I don't expect you to comment on the umpire's decision taking the players off for light, but as a general point, do you think it's time to have a look at light regulations in test cricket, you know, coming off a bad light? It's a tricky one because players' safety is very important. If you've got bowlers bowling at 85-plus mile an hour um, and it's gloomy out there, it, it can be dangerous for batsmen. I mean, as bowlers, you just, you're keen to bowl all the time, aren't you, especially in conditions like today? Uh, but I think the, the officials were, were right to bring us off, actually, because it, it dropped below uh, the, the darkness that we came off earlier in the day. Um, and, uh, you know, I think all of our fielders were walking off going, you know, we wouldn't want to bat in this. Yeah. This, is, this is quite dark. There's certainly been occasions in Test cricket where we've been off the field and there's been a crowd in where we feel like we could have been on the pitch. Um, but today's been gloomy all day and it has just felt like uh, it's just been on that slightly dark side of being suitable to play. What about bringing in a, a pink ball in situations like that? I mean, one or two suggested. Hey, Shane Warner said it, Michael Vaughan has said it, put it out there as a possibility. 
Yeah. Uh, what, uh, would, what, would that alter? The, would that? Yeah. Would that alter the balance of the match too much? It's yeah. A situation like you know, bring, yeah, it, bring I, in the pink I, ball. I don't agree with that at all. I, uh, what? How old would the pink ball be? You know, well, the same. You... The same as the the ball we're using. I suppose you have a box of balls. You know, one is ten overs old. One is twenty overs old. One is forty overs old. I think we've seen with the history of the pink ball under the floodlights, it's been very tricky for batsmen. Uh, so I think it would be an unfair. Uh, balance to the game um, you know if you were 300 for three and the, it got a bit dark and the and the pink ball came out you could lose five for ten if if it really swung around like it can do we've seen in Adelaide etc under the light so uh, I think that's probably going a bit too far and and complicating the situation a bit too much uh, at the end of the day if the player's safety is is in doubt then the officials have to bring the the, the players off um, if the players feel safe and the officials feel like it's safe for the players to play, then you play. What about your bowling? I mean, you've had a memorable summer. You took your 500th wicket, but how proud were you of that delivery that got Barbara Zam? Yeah, it was, it was a nice boy. He's, he's a really classy player. You can see a few of the shots he played um, had some real style about him. So we, we knew he'd be a big wicket. Uh, he was leaving really well outside off stump, I thought. So um, I came a little bit tighter to the stumps to see if I could get him playing with a straight bat. Uh, and it just nipped away nicely. So, yeah, I was really pleased with that. To be honest, I felt a great rhythm all summer. Um, one of those summers that you don't want to finish. Yeah, you know, I've been running in well. I've, I feel like I've been threatening the stumps. Uh, things have been going my, my way as a player, and, and when that's happening, you want to wrap it in cotton wool and, and make it last as long as possible. But we're also realistic as sports people and know that that, that's, that doesn't ever yeah. seem to happen. Yeah, it's like a batsman who scores lots of hundreds. You know, that, you know, there's bound to be naught there somewhere around the Absolutely. corner. Um, just, just one thing, one tactical thing. You know, towards the end of an innings, when there's a one player in like Mohamed Rizwan is and you've got the new ball and you put the field back and you have to bowl at a batsman with the field back I mean what's that like as a bowler did you do you inevitably lack a bit of intensity because you've got four balls the over when in a sense it's, it's not the same as when the field is up it's it's a tough one and I think you know I'd be interested to hear a few of the the, the pundits opinions on what's best because I've I've not seen I've not seen any of it really work over long periods of time. If you keep the field in with a batsman on 60 and they've got a licence, then you can leak 30, 40 runs really quickly. If you put everyone out, very unlikely that a batsman on 60 will just chip it to a fielder on the boundary. So it's a really tough um, tactical decision, uh, and I've seen it many a time. And... I still don't really know what the right way is to go because the last thing you want to do is leak 40 cheap runs when you've you've battled so hard to control the rate through the test match so far. Um, you almost you, know, you want to bowl a really good ball and, and get a genuine dismissal. But there's, there's something that lacks a bit of intensity of having everyone on the boundary. Um, but then also... I've seen batsmen make mistakes and just pull one straight down deep square leg's throat with that as well. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have a, an answer for that, really, because I just don't know what the best way is to go. Just a tough one for the captain, really. And bowlers. It's about, I mean, the bowler's choice, what to do, really. But it just feels when a, a batsman has a complete licence with the field up um, and they're on 60 and in, top-class international players can generally clear the infield. Um, you wouldn't bowl in an ODI with every fielder up, would you, with someone on 60? So uh, it's, a, it's a tricky one, um, but there was enough in that pitch to feel like you'd want to keep two or three slips in. Um, you just need to really make use of your two or three balls at the, the number 10 and 11 and, and make them count. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. 
At lunch today, we played a classic view from the boundary. It came from 2018 during the test match between England and Pakistan at Headingley. Then 16 years old, Walid Khan joined us to tell us one of the more extraordinary and emotional stories that we've ever heard on TMS. Four years earlier, Walid had been a student at the Peshawar Army School in Pakistan when he survived a terrorist attack that killed 135 of his school friends and 20 of his teachers. Walid was shot eight times, six times in the face and head. He had years of reconstructive surgery in Pakistan and England. He told me how difficult it had been for him to recover emotionally as well as physically from what had happened to him. It was uh, quite difficult because uh, in the starting days, once I was crying, uh, I remember that day when I was in ICU and I was crying for my friends and I was crying and my mom was sitting with me and she told me at that time that uh, if you cry, will your friends come back by that? I said no. So she said that it's better not to cry now and you should do something for them because you have survived now miraculously. So now it's your duty. God has saved your life for a purpose now and the purpose of your life should be a life with the purpose now and you should do something for your friends to keep them alive forever in the hearts of people. And that's your mother? Yeah. That's what a remarkable woman too, wow. She is, she yeah. is uh, a great mentor to me, a great support to me. Uh, it, it was like uh, it was quite difficult but as I said like people like my mother and my father and uh, the friends family friends like Kazi Inkal and uh, all other friends like all, the whole nation and the whole world it was unbelievable like in the start uh, I, I used to think like there's no humanity left on this earth after this uh, incident I used to think but when I see people around the world and the way they show me respect, they show me love and they show us like support, it, I, I was, it was unbelievable. And it, it, it's, it was like, I still, now I believe that there is humanity, there is humanity. And people can feel the pain when, when people can feel your pain, the way they supported us. They supported us like their own children. Like, I mean, every country. Every country in the world supported mm. us like their own children and they, they showed support to us. You, you have every right to be a very angry young man. <laughs> yeah. Full of rage yeah. uh, at what's happened and what he, you saw. You know, the, the thing was, uh, that was uh, at first it was in my mind that uh, in the starting days I was thinking that uh, I will take revenge of my friends and my revenge and I will join military or air force yes. and I will take my revenge. But then I thought that what will happen if I will take revenge? What will happen? Like I will kill their children and then tomorrow their children will grow up and they will kill my children and then my children will grow, grow up and they will kill their children and this war will be going on for generations. So it's better to finish this war with a perfect solution. And I think the best solution for this is to give them education, educate their mind. They are not educated. They are being uh, manipulated by wrong people. Those children who are doing this, they don't know about, they don't know anything. They haven't seen the world around them. They are just, they, they just believe what they have been showed all the way, all, all their lives. Like, brainwashed, really? Yeah, they are being brainwashed by them. So the, the only solution for them is, to, like the only solution to this is to educate their minds, educate them, educate their children. Because with guns and with uh, bullets, we can only kill a terrorist. But with education, I believe we can kill terrorism wise words from a young man who suffered such trauma. 
That was Walid Khan, who survived a terrorist attack in Pakistan when he was just 12, speaking in a classic view from the boundary. The whole podcast is still available to download on BBC Sounds. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. The government's announced that spectator test events can resume and we could see fans at domestic cricket games later this year. There's especially hope we could have fans at the T20 Blast Finals Day, which is scheduled to be held at Edgebaston in October. Warwickshire are looking at the possibility of 8,000 supporters being allowed into the ground for that. I spoke to their new chief executive, Stuart Kane, during tea. Now, Warwickshire hosted an open day earlier in the summer, but was he in place by then? I started on the Monday and then we had a test pilot on the Tuesday and then oh, I got right. a phone call Monday night to say the sports minister's dropping by as well. So it was like, oh, crack. So, yeah, it was a, an interesting 48 hours. But um, the, we did do a pilot. We got about 1,500 people into Edgebaston and it, it worked really, really well. And, and as I say, the sports minister came, was pretty happy with how it went, along with a, a bunch of people from DCMS. So I think we've proved that we can stage a small event, uh, as did uh, the Oval. So I think cricket's shown that it can lead the way in, in sort of getting crowds back. We're now things have been eased up a bit with the snooker tonight and hopefully we can get some more test pilots set up. It's a great chance for us to have another go because we, we were hoping to get a bigger crowd in for the first game for the Bob Willis Trophy. Um, get about 2,500 people into Edgebaston, but obviously that got pulled when uh, Boris announced the news that um, things were getting slightly worse. So you just got to respect that and roll with it, as I say, because you, you can't put anyone's health in danger. But... I think we've, we've found a way to manage crowds through the first pilot. We just need to work now and find a way to get a second pilot and hopefully prove that we can safely get a bigger crowd in for the blast. Yeah. What did you actually have to prove on that test day? You said the sports minister was there, but what, what, what did you have to show them that, that you could do or what was needed to be done? Yeah, there's, there's different bits to it. I mean, the, the first thing you have to do is prove to the local authorities uh, and the local communities that it's safe to have a crowd. Because if you think you've got, whether it be one and a half thousand, two and a half or eight thousand people can edge Baston, you've got to make sure that doesn't impact the local community. So we work very closely with Birmingham City Council, Public Health England, the Blue Light Services and local councillors just to put in place the right processes for how the crowd get to edge Baston. And that's looking at things like car parking provision, uh, public transport, um, working with the local shops and things like that. Because if you suddenly have a shop across the road from edge Baston, we're another two, three hundred people turn up, can they manage that? So mm. that was the first step, is working with the local community and the local authorities and, and, and proving that we could operate safely outside the venue. The second bit is about ticketing. And it sounds really simple when you're sitting in a pub talking about it. Oh, I'll just knock out every second seat or something. But <laughs> when you've got software that's pre-built and you've got online ticketing systems and people could buy, buy one, two, three or four tickets then we gave our software developers a bit of a headache. Um, but they rose to the challenge and built something that worked. But equally, we had to take everyone's names and addresses because if you think mostly when you buy tickets online, the person who buys the ticket gives their card details and address details, but you might buy four tickets for mates. But with this, we had to get everyone's name and address. So again, that was a quite mm. a big piece of software work. So you also know where people have come from as well, as well as those actually yeah, who so, are in contact with each other. Yeah. We need, to, we need to really be able to show that we could track and trace. So yes. if we do end up with four or 5,000 people in Edgebaston and God forbid anything happens, it gives us a chance to get in touch with them all and manage the, sort of the, the outflow of that. So that was a big part of it. But then it's about how do you manage people inside the stadium? So there's different bits to that, really. Um, 
first of all, how do you get them into the stadium? Because you have to think whether it be a football stadium, rugby stadium or cricket, there are pinch points, aren't there? Sort of when yes. people go to the turnstiles, that's a pinch point. When people are walking out into the stands, um, that's a bit of a pinch point. The bars, the toilets, the food areas. It's, it's how, how you manage those more than anything. Because actually, Edgebaston Hall's 25,000. So getting 8,000 people to sit in the right seat isn't particularly difficult as long as you manage it properly with the stewards. It's if at tea they all decide to go and get a beer or they want the toilet, how do you manage that? So that, that was what we spent a lot of time thinking about was people flows. Um, how do we get people into areas safely? How do we make sure there are enough hand sanitizers? How do we manage queues for the loos and all that sort of thing? Um, which I know sounds really boring. Um, and you're probably sitting there thinking, what's he going on about? But that's <laughs> We're the used to that's it, quite, don't we? <laughs> um, that's, that's the stuff that's quite important, uh, yes. particularly when DCMS and the government were trying to work out, OK, well, can you make it work at small numbers? Because at some point we've got to make it work in bigger numbers in cricket. But also, OK, what could Old Trafford or... Stanford Bridge learn from this when they start to look at bigger crowds coming back into sport. So they were the sort of things that we were thinking about. But there's the playing side as well because you've got to manage the players' health and safety. So how do you sanitise the ball? Um, the 12th man, how do they take the drinks out safely? When you have breaks, are the rooms clean? How do, they, how do the players have lunch? Because the old-fashioned sort of put a big buffet out and people help themselves. You can't do that now. So serving socially distanced lunch for players um, how do you look after the umpires and stop them getting grumpy and all that sort of stuff and I, I would imagine Stuart that the people who came to that trial came because they wanted to be there and they, they wanted it to work and, and therefore they, they, they were on your side and they weren't getting grumpy with stewards and they were doing what they were told yeah and, and I think most people are pretty level headed now aren't they um, a lot of them were wearing masks they were all using the hand sanitizer. they all understood they had a part to play and I think whatever sport that's going to be a message for everyone coming to sport moving forward the venue can only do so much we do need some help from the fans coming in and there has to be a degree of, of personal responsibility and accountability um, but as long, we can provide the right framework for that but then you've got to help us out I'm trying to picture Edgebaster with a restricted number in. I mean presumably you, you've, yeah. you've been there on a full house have you and you've experienced the Hollies stand and, uh, and everything well, else I won't lie to you I've experienced too much of the Hollies stand in the past on days but um, it's, an, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting place but yes yeah, so I know Edgebaston well as a, as a cricket fan uh, over the years because I'm a Midlander by birth so I, I know that well and it, it is, it's interesting because we've got to be thinking about for the blast in particular if you do get a small crowd in, how do you try and create an atmosphere? Because you know yes. what Edgebaston's like when it's rocking for a, the finals day. Now, we won't yeah, be able I mean, to do that with, with people. So how can we work with Sky and how can we look at the size of the crowd that we've got and create an atmosphere? But do it in a respectful way to the cricket because when you watch the football, some people love the piped in crowd noise, some people hate it. Yeah. So yeah. it does throw up some interesting challenges. But I think speaking to some of the players... I think they'd like to get a crowd in, even if it's small, because I think the players do feed off it, particularly in the blast format. Where, 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 are, you, where are you today as far as crowds possibly coming into Edgebaston at, at some stage? Not necessarily talking about, fi about finals day at the moment, but just in, in, in the blast itself. In what, at the moment, uh, as, as you and I sit here, what, what do you think realistically you might be able to do? Well, we're just, we had the second pilot event pulled, as I mentioned, so we're just working with the ECB who are talking to government about can we get that second pilot put back on. If we can, it's just about which game then. And it does make sense that if we do a pilot, it should be around a blast game because that's the best way of making sure that we're ready for having a bigger crowd in in October for the finals. So 
hopefully over the next week it will become a bit clearer about what we can do, what the regulations are that we've got to abide to, uh, and then which game it is that we should go for. Um, because as we talked about earlier, there's a lot for us to get aligned so from working with the council through to selling the tickets through to getting the stadium ready. So uh, we do need a little bit of notice to do that, but we're, we're ready to go as soon as we know what the rules are. The TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. That's the Warwickshire Chief Executive, Stuart Kane. You can watch highlights on the iPlayer or the BBC Sport website. And we're back on air at 10.15 for the third day, hoping for better weather. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.